0: Love is often an overused word. It's something that all of us say multiple times a day. We talk about all sorts of different things that we love. We love food. I love Dr. Pepper. I'd love to come over to your house for dinner. You know, or when we think of love, we think of, you know, romantic love. We may think of our spouse sitting next to us or the one who's no longer here or someone else that we may love. And the world has plenty to say about love as well. No one will ever get mad at you for talking about love. Even a stereotypical angry atheist would love it if you would talk about how God is love. But the problem is that all of us have different definitions of what we think love is. And we're all shaped for better or for worse by our experiences. Our family growing up forms us and gives us a picture of what love is. For those of us who have been fortunate to grow up in a very loving, wonderful family, it gives us a great picture of what love is. For others of us that maybe were not so fortunate, that also shapes the way that we view love. But the Scripture tells us that God is love. But what does that mean? What is the essence of love, and and where can love be found? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we're continuing our series and kind of questions and answers with Paul is... Well, what really is love, and what does that mean? And this morning, we're going to look at this famous passage, 1 Corinthians 13. It's a passage, if you've grown up in church, you have probably heard many times. We sang that song that may have been new to many of us, but it's just the words from this passage, and many of those words are very familiar. If you've been to a wedding recently, you've probably heard those words talked about. But what we need to do is we have to be careful to not view love through our own glasses, through our own blinders. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to get a bigger picture of what does it mean when we say that God is love. And as we read this, I'm really going to focus mostly in on verses verses 4 through 7, that we're going to read all of it and talk a little bit about all of it. And I want us to see how Jesus and how God especially shows us and reveals to us what these words mean. So I'm going to invite Janet to come up and to read our passage for us this morning. Um, and she'll pray, and then we will jump in.
1: Hi, I don't usually talk to grown-ups. I talk I to kids. It. Well, thank you. And if you were my kids, I'd say every time you hear the word love, make a heart. but you're not, and so that will throw me off. But... <laughs> um, and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but it rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecy is imperfect. But when perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I, shall know, then I shall understand fully, even as I have been fully understood. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Good morning, God. You loved us so much you sent your Son. And we are your ambassadors. I pray that through Pastor David's words, our love for you could be even more and more. And when we leave here, people would see you and us because of our love. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you. So if you're, you're taking notes this morning in, in your bulletin, our first point is that Jesus embodies love. Jesus embodies love. You may notice that you probably will be able to guess many of the blanks that are not filled in already. And the first one is very simple as well. It's just Jesus embodies love. And one of my favorite professors at Dallas Theological Seminary, his name was um, Dr. John Hanna. And one of the things that he said particularly about this and about God's love is the next point on your blank, and I just thought it was so good. I wanted to make sure that you had it. He would say that God is love, and then Jesus is love revealed, and the Holy Spirit is love possessed. That God is love, and Jesus is love revealed, and the Holy Spirit is love possessed, or Jesus, you know, Jesus is the embodiment of love. And this morning, this is what I want to do. I just want to show you what this means. What does it mean that Jesus reveals to us real love? And what I mean that by that is that Jesus, through his person, through what he did, through the actions that he took, the thoughts that he thought, the way that he lived, the words that came out of his mouth, every single one of those things is filled with love. It was filled with true love. And so he shows us what that means. So we're just going to walk through kind of four through seven. And just each of these words, I want to show you at least a picture of how Jesus is that. And the first one in verse four is love is patient. That's a strange place to start. Because patience is something that I think our world and many of us in this room, if we're honest, really struggle with. This is not a time for patience in the world today because we got to do things quick and efficiently, and faster, because we're all busy, right? Even if you're retired, you may have found that that didn't keep you from being busy. There's always plenty to do, and there's more and more to do, and our schedules are filled up, and with technology now, we can communicate really with anyone in the world anywhere at any time if they just pick up their phone the moment that we called them and things worked out. We have the ability to, to in just a few moments, open up our phones again or get on the computer and buy anything that you could imagine instantly and probably have it delivered to your house in just a few days. When we lived in Dallas, you know, we we loved not just having the opportunity for two-day delivery with Amazon, but we could get one-day delivery (laughs) if you just would pay a little bit extra. And so that was even more amazing. So, but I remember several times where I'd get the extra items and, you know, throw in some things in my cart that I didn't really need but I wanted because if I just paid a little more, I could get it tomorrow. And then I remember the next day came and then there were some times that, well, there was some problem and it got delayed. And then I had to wait the normal two days for my stuff and that was just the worst. I was infuriated. I had to call somebody. This is an injustice. How could they do this to me? Right? Because we're impatient. We want things, and we want them right now, and we want it quickly. So I'm not good with patience, but love is patient, and Jesus is patient. And We see the patience of Jesus in the way that He treats His disciples. As you read through the Gospels, you may notice those disciples are kind of a bunch of morons. They get a lot wrong. They repeatedly aren't listening. They're repeatedly not having enough faith. It's like Jesus says, hey, guys, I'm going to go die. And they're like, yeah, 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 Jesus, that's nice. But which of us is the greatest, do you think? Who's the most awesome, Jesus? That's really the most impressive question here. And yet Jesus, over and over, you don't see him taking them behind the woodshed and giving them a spanking. You don't see him kicking some of them out of the 12 and getting somebody better, though surely there was somebody better or more qualified. Yet Jesus is patient with them. One of my favorite stories of Jesus' patience is in Mark 8. So all the disciples get into a boat with Jesus, and they cast off from the shore, and they're going their way, and they sit around and look, and they say, Oh, man, we're hungry. Hey, pull pull it out. How much bread do we got to eat? And they open it up, and they say, Oh, we've only got one loaf of bread. And they start complaining, saying, How are we going to eat, Jesus? If you you look, this is after Jesus has already fed the 5,000. And this is after Jesus has fed the 4,000. He has done this twice. And so Jesus hears them complaining, and he just kind of gently warns them, hey, guys, you know, just beware, you know, Pharisees. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about? We got one piece of bread here, and we're, we're hungry. And yet Jesus patiently says, hey, guys, do you remember when I fed the 5,000? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember how many baskets of food we had left over? Go, yeah, yeah, it was 12. What does that have to do with it, though, Jesus? We got one loaf here. We're, we're starving. And Jesus is patient. He says, hey, you remember when I read, fed the 4,000 two days ago? How much bread was left over then? Oh, it's seven, seven baskets of bread left over Jesus, but we still just got the one. Jesus looks at him, he's like, you, you, you guys don't get it? You're not, not listening here? That's kind of where that story ends, but yet Jesus is patient. He's so patient with those disciples, and he's so patient with us. Jesus is not sitting, and God is not sitting over you trying and just scratching his head and pulling his hair out like that idiot. Why did they do that again? I can't believe it. I thought they would have figured this out now. I've given them decades to stop doing this and yet here they are doing it again. I'm done with them. That's not what God does because he loves us. He's patient He's patient in ways that we don't deserve. Even as it takes us our whole lives to figure certain sins out or to just care about reading our Bibles a little bit every day, yet he is patient. Why? Because love is patient. Having children has been good for trying to learn patience. <laughs> right? Calvin is, is two. You see him running around and playing the piano and moving his fire truck all over the place. I think the fire truck has left the room at least, um, so he's not making too much of a mess, at least here. But he's big enough now that he wants to help me with stuff, okay? And he's actually pretty good at helping me with stuff. But the thing is, when he helps me with something, it's taking much longer than it should be taking. And he doesn't quite do it as good as I can do it, right? But he wants to help. So, you know, most of the time, I can be patient. Why? Because he's really cute. And I love him. He's my son. So, obviously, he's the greatest. He's way better than any of your sons, clearly. (laughs) But it's still, it's hard. I got to remind him, he's two years old. He's just trying to pour this bird seed into our bird feeder. Yes, he dumped it all over the garage. And now I got to go find the broom, sweep it up. But it's okay. I got to be patient. Why? Because I love him. That love that I feel for my little two-year-old toddler and the love that many of you feel for your children is just a small expression of how great Jesus' love and his patience is towards you towards you when you sin again, towards you when you do that thing that you told him just yesterday you weren't going to do anymore. Because Jesus is patient because he loves you. He's not sitting on the throne throwing stuff at his television, watching your life, being like, I can't believe they did that again. He's patient even as you refuse to trust him or we refuse to have faith in him even though he's already come through time and time and time again. Jesus is also kind. Love is kind. Kindness is something that's lost in our day as well. We don't have a lot of time for kindness. In fact, we often see kindness and meekness as a, a weakness, especially in our, our leaders. We don't want people who are kind. Why do we want kind? We want somebody tough and somebody strong. We don't want to elect kind generals or elect kind officials or CEOs who are kind. We want winners. One of the things that love is, is love is kind. And the kindness of Jesus extends to every area of his life. Jesus is kind even when the pressure is on. Even when the crowds stand around him and mock him and spit on him, he is kind. Even when they blindfold him at his crucifixion and they beat him and they say, Prophesy to us, since you're God, tell us who hit you. He doesn't start prophesying all their darkest secrets as he could. He endures it. Even when the woman who's been bleeding for years sneaks a touch of Jesus to be healed and is, Jesus is kind to her. He doesn't take her to the curb and yell at her and say, why would you do this? Jesus is kind to the Roman official who comes and asks Jesus to heal his daughter. And he says, have faith. And he says, I've got some faith, but not enough. You got to help me, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is kind. Jesus is kind even when the tax collector Zacchaeus invites Jesus into his house, and Jesus goes, even though it's unpopular, even though the religious people don't like it and don't want it. Jesus is kind to great sinners. Ever wonder why all of the sinners and the sick and the low loved Jesus and wanted to be around him? Even though he wasn't telling them their sin was great. And yeah, keep being a tax collector and ripping everybody off. And yes, y'all continue in your adultery. Yes, keep being a prostitute. That's wonderful. Express yourself. Jesus didn't say any of that stuff. Yet they love to be around Jesus. Why? Because he loved them. Because even he was kind. He was patient. Love does not envy or boast. Envy for us rears its head right whenever we see others get what we really want. We see someone else blessed with something that we wish we could have gotten, and maybe they got it and we didn't. It's fascinating to me that Jesus does not boast. Jesus, in fact, in the early parts of his ministry, when he heals people, and they say, I want to go tell everybody about you, he says, no, 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 that's fine. Don't don't tell anybody I did this. Jesus didn't come interested in building the greatest platform he ever could or everyone finding out how awesome he was, even though he was and deserved it and was worthy of praise. Jesus also didn't envy, even as he was before the officials who were ordering his execution and who said, don't you know that I have all the power? You know, I have, your life is in my hands. And he says, yeah, you know, that, that's fine, but... I know who puts you in power. I'm not envious of your position. Jesus is an incredible example of humility. Because envy is the opposite of humility, and Jesus embodies that. At the cross, Jesus was mocked. They put a crown of thorns on his head to mock the idea that he said, I am the king. And they put purple robes on him to, to mock him and to make fun of him. And he humbly endured it. Even as he's interrogated, as he's tortured, as he's spit at, he, he endured it silent as a lamb. And he humbled himself and faced death. Love isn't rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's also not irritable or resentful. Man, never resentful. I struggle with that one. It's like many of us do. We can maybe even in the moment say, yes, of course, I forgive you because I love you. It's fine. But then in the back of our mind, we just can't believe and we stew and we sit on it. And Jesus doesn't do that. He's not just patient with his disciples in the moment. Later when he's alone by himself, he isn't stewing and wanting to just get rid of all these bozos. He isn't resentful of us even as we continue to sin again and again, day after day, moment after moment. Why? Because Jesus loves us. Because He is love. Six is very important when it comes to this idea of of God being love. It says that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It almost seems out of place at first. So what does that mean? Is that just some generic talking about, well, love likes, you know, good holy things and doesn't like bad stuff. I, you know The other stuff we get, That sounds like a good picture of love, but what is this here? What this means is that Jesus, because he loves you, doesn't just celebrate and clap and affirm everything that you do. Every decision that you make or that people make, he doesn't go, yes, that's the greatest ever, because I love you, so whatever you want is good. Love does not just affirm whatever we choose to pursue. And that's different than what the world tells us. The world says, if you love me, if you care about me, then whatever I decide to do, you must support me, and you must embrace it, and you must celebrate it. You must not just tell me you love me. You've got to rejoice at it. But no, Jesus can't do that. And why? Because he loves you. We think about this with uh, particularly when it comes um, to, to sexual sin or to sexual expression of, well, you know, I have these feelings and this is what I want to do, so I, I, I am this or I must go this way and you've got to affirm me and celebrate me. And if you don't, you don't love me. What this tells us is, no, that's not really love because true love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It only rejoices in the truth. Because Jesus and because God loves us, He cannot celebrate us when we sin. He cannot clap His hands and say, Ooh, that's so wonderful. You know, you're just doing what makes you happy, and that's what's important. Because I love you, I just want you to be happy. That's the only thing I care about. This tells us that's not love. Why? Because Jesus can't allow us and doesn't want us to just continue in our sin. That's not actually love. That's cruel. There are many things that, again, with my, my two-year-old wants to do that I do not let him do, and it makes him angry. Some of those things are, you know, very simple or fun. He wants to eat, you know, all of the cheese that's in the house. Or he wants to pick his brother up and swing him around the room. Like, no, I'm not going to let you do those things. Right, so some of them are less serious, and some of them are more serious. No, I am not going to let you play with that electrical outlet because that will kill you and because I love you you cannot do that and also because I love my son I am not going to let him do whatever he wants to do how do you think he will turn out in a couple of years if all that I ever do is celebrate everything that Calvin wants to do if he ever wants to do anything I clap my hands and say woohoo I love you so we're, we're going to do it okay he's going to be a little brat. None of you are going to want to go back and watch him when he's in the nursery or invite us over to hang out in your house unless he's not there because you're not going to want to be around him because that's going to be terrible. And you're going to judge him and say, wow, what a terrible parent. How did that happen? What are you doing? And to some extent, you might be right. Maybe. We'll, we'll see in a couple of years. You can tell me. But right, because I love him, because I care about him, I cannot celebrate when he does things that are wrong. When he does things that are bad for him. When he embraces selfishness and only cares about himself and that's all he wants to do. No, I'm not going to celebrate that. Why? Because I love him and I want him to grow up to be a good, kind person who loves Jesus, who acts like he loves Jesus. So there are some things that love does not celebrate. Love does not clap its hands at. Why? Because love rejoices with the truth, with the things that are true and beautiful and good. That is what... Love means. Now, point number two is very simple. So Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. I didn't invent that. You know, I went to school, a lot of seminary, got a bunch of degrees on my wall. I'm very brilliant. So here you go. But this is true, and this is significant. It's simple, but it's one of the most important things that all of us need to hear. And we need to hear it a lot. It's something if you've grown up in church, you have heard this a hundred times. If your eyes wandered and you got bored or you were looking at your blanks and trying to guess, you probably knew already, oh, it must be loves. Wow, really, that's it. Maybe he's going to do something different. No, just loves. Okay, guess I was right. But just because it's something you've heard a million times, it doesn't mean that you don't need to hear it again. Your your spouse or your kids, they've probably heard you tell them a million times that you love them. They may have told you that they love you a million times. Do you want to hear it again? Or are you bored of it? Think, no, I'm good. Hey, Brie, I told you I loved you. Made a bunch of vows when we got married a bunch of years ago, so I think I'm good now. I don't need to tell you that anymore. Right? No, that, that's a horrible idea. What, what would that do? That's not going to foster our relationship. That's not going to help us continue to grow in love. But this is something that we need to hear. But when you read this whole chapter and you see the importance and the significance of love and you see how Jesus embodies love and everything that he does, what you need to know and you need to see is all of these things are things that Jesus feels towards you and towards me. That Jesus... Loves you. Jesus is patient with you. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not being rude to you. He's not even insisting in his own way. Jesus is not irritable. He is not resentful towards you. But Jesus loves you. And his love bears all things. It bears everything that you do, everything that you have done, everything that you will do tomorrow and this afternoon and the next day and the next week. His love hopes all things for you and it endures all things. One of the ways, especially in seven, that Jesus embodied this verse, how did, how did he live this out? Well, the, the main way, and Janet already said it in her prayer, is Jesus showed and revealed how much he loves us on the cross. That was the greatest, not just example, because he died as much more than an example, but the greatest instance of love in the history of time, in the universe, in the cosmos. He was willing to walk away from the beauty and the wonder of heaven and the heavenly realms. Don't know what it's like up there, but it's got to be better than down here, especially if you are God, that's probably a good place to hang out. And yet, he decided to walk away from that and enter into our broken, sinful, rebellious world. And he did that as a baby. He decided, you know, I'm the God of the universe, have everything in my hands and control. I think I will go and be an infant and have to be fed and swaddled and have my diaper changed. And I'll grow up as a toddler and a boy and a teenager and be stuck in a human body. And he did that and lived a perfect life and lived and embodied and acted out love at every single moment of that life. And what he decided to do with his perfect life, what did he do? He decided to volunteer himself as a sacrifice for you and for me. To lay down his life and the most brutal death that they had at that point in time and maybe one of the most brutal deaths in human history. To save you and to save me. To take what we deserve, because the wages of sin is death, as my dad used to tell me, which was not a very kind thing, it was a pastor thing, anytime we would complain and say something's not fair, he would say, son, the only thing that's fair is you being in hell right now. <laughs> okay, dad, you're right, but I just wanted another cookie, and that's not cool, but okay, you know. But that's, we laugh, but that, that is fairness. All of us have, have sinned. And you might think, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Well, compare yourself to the perfect Jesus, and we are all way, way, way short. Compare yourself to the glory and the wonder of the God who created everything. Gaze at him in all of his fullness and holiness. Just try and picture it for a moment. Then look at yourself again and tell me how you compare to that. All of us deserve to be in hell right now at this very moment. The the fact that we get to live, any of us, without going there immediately, the moment our soul is conceived and created, is an example of God's patience and kindness towards us. Every second that you breathe is another example of God's love. And yet, what does Jesus do? He pays the penalty for our sin so that we can have eternal life and can live. There's no better picture we can think of than someone who's willing to die for someone else. John tells us later in his word in the Bible that there's no greater love than this, than he who lays down his life for a friend. Right? And that's true love, isn't it? Someone who's willing to step into the lion's den. Someone who's willing to jump on a live grenade to protect those around him. Somebody who's willing to risk death just because they love you or someone else. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Think about that for yourself. Is there somebody who are the people in your life that you would be willing to die for? I mean if you really had to. Okay, and and let's be honest. So if we're being honest, it's gonna be a shorter list for me. Partly because I'm a coward. Okay, and partly because, well, you know, I have going to be honest about who do I actually love. Who do I actually in the moment would I be willing to give up everything in my whole life for? Well, top of my list, right, is going to be my two young sons and my wife. I'm going to be willing to do that for them. And, you know, maybe I'll find some other people down there. Don't ask for my list. I'm not going to give it to you. I also haven't written it out. <laughs> Don't. I, you know, I hope that I never have to. In all likelihood, I never will. But because of my deep love for them, I would do it without thinking too much because I love them. So, so picture someone that you love like that. You do it without a second's hesitation. It's not even hard to think about. And then I want you to realize that's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. That's how Jesus feels about you. But what he also did there is he didn't just do that on the cross for those who deserve our love. He didn't do those for those who would be at the top of our list. He did that for the entire world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He stepped into our place. He took on the wrath and the punishment of God that we deserve because he loves us. For God so loved the world. For God so loved those who hated him. For God so loved the men that tortured him. For God so loved the men who pounded those nails into his feet and into his wrists. For God so loved those men who died beside him and so who'd spent some of their time mocking him, that as he was hanging there, he said, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's love. For God so loved those who are far, far away from God's sight. For God so loved the atheist who hates him. For God so loved the adulterer. For God so loved the addict who is stuck in their addiction. For God so loved the felon. For God so loved the sexually broken. For God so loved the divorced. For God so loved the homosexual. For God so loved the transgender. For God who so loved Judas. For the God who so loved the widow. For God who so loved the entire world. That means everybody in it. It Means all of them. The love of Jesus bears all things and He bore all of our sins, the sins of the entire world, on the cross. On His back. And he suffered the rejection and the pain and the torture and the hours of agony, slowly dying and suffocating to death as his lungs, filled with blood, hanging on a tree with his back shredded. He did all of that because he loves you. Because he loves me. And the greatest example of his love is, again, that willingness to die on the cross, not just for the people he likes, not just for the people who call themselves Christians and are really good at their church attendance and their Bible trivia, but for the entire world with his arms open, begging, saying, come and be my son and my daughter. I love you. I've died for you. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. A greater love than we could ever even hope to comprehend. That's so why it's simple to say Jesus loves you, but to actually think about what does that mean, we could spend the rest of eternity just meditating on that simple fact, and it would never get old. The Shirelles are a black old girls group that was the first all-women group to reach number one on the billboards. And they had a song, the song that got them there, one of their most famous was, Will You Love Me Tomorrow. Some of you may remember it. And the song is all about, you know, being in love and the passion, the excitement of the the moment and going on a wonderful date and and just being in the the thrills of what love is. But hanging in the back of the lyrics of that song is that question, well, are you going to love me tomorrow? (laughs) Yeah, today's wonderful, but, you know, when the future comes, is this love going to fade away and pass? And so near, near the end, the song comes I ask that a couple times. You know, Hey, will you love me tomorrow? But near the end, it says, well, uh, I'm not going to ask again. Just one more time. Will you love me tomorrow? And yet, even after saying, I'm not going to ask again, the song asks it about three more times as it fades out. Why? And the song was a hit then, and it's still true today. Because if we're honest, that's what many of our hearts does. Is it asks and it wonders. Well, do you still love me today? What about tomorrow? What about the next day? We ask this question of other people, but we especially ask it of God. We wonder is he still going to love us tomorrow? Is he still going to love me after I sin and fall on my face again? Or was this it? Yeah, you know, I embraced his love when I became a Christian, did pretty good for a while, but, you know, I've kind of fallen off. Will he still love me tomorrow? Well, as often as you hear that question, or you hear the enemy whisper that into your ears or deep in your heart, you can respond with "Yes, yes, Jesus and God will love me tomorrow, and the next day, and the next." And how you can just point to the cross, say, "There is my proof that He loves me." There's a pastor that I like named Evan Welcher. He's a pastor of a small church in Iowa one of the things he does is every single day he just posts on all social media God loves you that's it he posts other stuff too but every single day because it's a simple truth but it's a profound reminder that we all need to hear over and over again that Jesus loves you our last point number three is that we need to live like Jesus loves you you need to live like Jesus loves you. You remember the, the first time you felt like you were in love. You remember how, how that felt. Or maybe even that love was reciprocated. Because that's, that's much better or how exciting that is and wondrous and, and the world just feels brighter and you just can't help if it's a musical you just want to burst out into song and dance and you feel so much more confident and excited why? because I'm loved what, what is greater than this? Well, that feeling is not necessarily what we should feel all the time but we need to be reminded like that that Jesus loves you and that should affect the way that we live. That should affect the way that we feel. To be reminded that you are loved. Not primarily by your family. Not primarily by a spouse. but You are primarily loved by the God of the universe. Who sent his son to die on the cross for you. That should affect the way that we live, doesn't it? The fact that the God who makes and sustains all things loves us. Loves you. That that should change the way that you do everything. If you're not a Christian, that should absolutely change the way that you live. You to see that Jesus died for you. He, He died for the world. There is no one that is too far from his love. There is no one that is too far gone, that is unlovable, that is too far deep in their sin, that Jesus does not love them and does not want them to come into his family to be saved, to accept the gospel, to repent of their sins, to believe and just rest in the love of Jesus. Jesus loves you, but again... You need, even as an unbeliever, especially as an unbeliever, you need to embrace Him. You need to be saved. but That salvation is there for you because He loves you. Now, for those of us who are believers, we too still need to live like Jesus loves us. We need to act like it. How different would our world be if we didn't just live, but if we loved other people like Jesus loved us? If we lived out these verses, if we didn't just love our family this way or the people that we really like, but if we loved everybody this way, if we lived like Jesus, Jesus, when He walked around the earth, sinners could not help but flock to Him and want to be around Him. How many sinners want to be around you? How many non-Christians want to hang out at your house? How many non-Christians just love to be in your presence? Love to talk to you about their life and their day? Maybe that might be worth asking. If, well, if there's not any, then maybe am i not quite loving like Jesus loved. But if we did, if we lived this like Jesus did, if we lived like he loved us and we had his love flow through us, how different would the lo- lives of our loved ones change? How would our family life be different if we were continually not resentful or irritable? Brie would especially tell you, if I could be less irritable, that would be nice. How different would the world look like if we loved our enemies this way? If we loved people we disagreed with this way? If we loved that coworker who annoys us this way? If we loved that neighbor who we can't believe keeps doing that thing again? If we loved them like this that way? if we loved those people who voted differently than us this way? What if we were patient with our enemy? What if we bore all the things that people threw at us? What if, if we just loved like Jesus loved? Not just how different would we be, but how different would this world look like? Jesus said that you know, you, people will know that you are my disciples by your love. Reputation as believers in the world is not great right now. And there's plenty of reasons for that. It's, it's complicated. But wouldn't it be great if they would know us by our love? If they could say, you know what, that person, I know that they don't agree with my life. I know that they think I'm actually a horrible sinner and going to hell forever, but man, they, they love me so much. And I just love being with them because I just know they love me. What if that was how we were? How different would our community? Would Stevens County look like? Would Duncan and Comanche and Marlowe? if we just walked around as beacons of the love of Jesus? So church family, let's embody the love of Jesus. Let's do that in our lives in every single moment. Let's proclaim the gospel in our words and in sharing it, but also in the way that we live and in the way that we love. This morning, we've talked about some really complicated stuff. Our first point is just a reminder that Jesus embodies all that love is. All that love is. When we say that God is love, we can look at the person of Jesus and say that is what love looks like. We've been reminded of the simple truth that God and Jesus love you. And challenge us to live like Jesus loves us as well. I'm going to close with this simple children's song that as I, I just couldn't help but reflecting on it all week long. It's something I remember singing all the time growing up in church of just, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves you, church family. Let's bow our heads and pray, and I'll invite the worship team to come up and lead us. Uh, God, I just thank you for your love. Lord, I ask that you would pour your love out on us again. Lord, would you allow us to feel deep in our hearts the greatness and the depth of your love for us? Lord, would you not allow us to ask that question, will you love me tomorrow? Because we will feel tangibly your love for us. Would you remind us of the cross? Remind us of how you proved your love for us, and you do it over and over and over again. Lord, if there are any in this room who do not know you, I pray that they would see your love. Lord, would you draw them to yourself. Lord, would you show and reveal to them that there is eternal life waiting for them through the love of Jesus and what you accomplished on the cross. For those of us who are believers, Lord, would you change us? Lord, would we live like those who are loved by you and who love like you love? Because only you and your love can do it. Wrap us in your love, Lord Jesus. Don't ever allow us to forget. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen read this benediction from the end of 1 Corinthians 16, 23, 24. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, and my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. God loves you, church family. Let's live like it. You're dismissed.